Hello, Sunshine. I'm Alexi Lawless, and welcome to the State of the Union podcast, where we look at the beautiful game on and off the field through the lens of red, white, and blue colored glasses. This week, we'll be talking Supporters Shield, VAR, Billion Dollar Code, The Rock, Manchester United, Bruce, Ole, Burhalter, Classico, Travel Lessons, and so much more. But first, joining me, as always, my friend, my colleague, my guiding light, David Mossy, a soccer savant and a Fox soccer researcher and writer extraordinaire. Mossy, how are you on this Monday, October 25th in the year 2021? Doing well, although I'm a little bit concerned that you're developing a wandering eye. What, what, what do you mean? What, uh, what, what's going on? A uh, podcast with Stu a couple weeks ago and then a podcast with Eric Winalda this past Friday, I believe. I did. Uh, our, uh, our friend and uh, former colleague here at uh, Fox is off to the races with another podcast. Uh, he's done uh, and you've worked with him over the years and he invited me on. He was on his best behavior. <laughs> and I actually had a good time. We had a good time talking about a lot of the things that we talk here. And he said that he listens. Uh, so uh, hello, Eric, and thank you for uh, for listening. And I've listened to his, and it's been uh, it's been interesting. I think he's done a good job so far over there uh, with what he's doing at the win. You know, what was interesting about that, on Friday night, I went out to dinner with some friends uh, to one of my favorite restaurants in LA, Dantana's. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the owner is a big soccer fan, so there are several uh, framed jerseys along the walls, including Eric Winalda. And I found out that you did the interview with him. I looked down at my phone during that dinner when I'm staring up at an Eric Winalda jersey. And I said, oh, Eric Winalda had Alexi Lawless on his podcast. We had a good time. We actually, uh, I'm not sure I necessarily convinced him, but I got him to think about some different things in in maybe some different ways, including the uh, thing that we've talked about now on numerous shows with uh, the possible having uh, World Cup every couple of years. So it was uh, was fun and it was was interesting. I wish him uh, all the luck in everything that he's doing. And as you know, he has coached, uh, and he's been successful at coaching. I hope he finds something else when it comes to coaching, because I think that there is some good stuff uh, out there. So I wish him well. So that was uh, that was fun. What else did you do well, besides going to Dantana's? Look at you. And I went to a uh, comedy show afterwards. It was a fun night. Nice. Um, but uh, on the television front, uh, I did finish Squid Game. You did. Okay. So at the, when it's when all is said and done, what are you giving it? Oh, absolutely riveting. Uh, I give it you very get, high marks. You get it. Well, yes, I mean, yes. it's it lives up to the hype. Absolutely. Uh, and then last night, we're taping this on a Monday, all-time great succession episode. This third season is off to an incredible start. Both episodes have been amazing. Uh, and then the season premiere of Curb, which was okay. I'm always amused by that show. I don't think it was a great first episode, but I'm sure it'll uh, get better from this really? point forward. Interesting. All right. So you went to a comedy show. I went to a, a rock concert, and those are few and far between, especially over the last couple of years. So it was great. I went and saw, do you know who Rick Springfield is? Name rings a bell. Okay. It rings the bell. Uh, anyway, um, he, for me, is one of my, my great artists uh, when it comes to pop rock in terms of writing and performing. And he's 72 years old. And I'll tell you what, he put on an incredible show and just hit after hit after hit. Uh, for those of you that out there that either don't care or follow Rick Springfield, or don't know much about him, or you're too young to know uh, much about him. Uh, he had a big hit back in the uh, in the 80s with Jesse's Girl, which I'm sure people have heard over the years. And even if you don't know it's Rick Springfield, you would re- uh, recognize the song. But he, he is so much more than Jesse's Girl, and it was fun to go to uh, to that to that show. So that was that was me getting out. Uh, as far as stuff that I watched, um, okay, a couple of things. What did I watch? Uh, There's a documentary on Netflix called The Raincoat Killer. Uh, I think it's what three, two, two or three episodes. It's okay. It's about a serial killer in Korea. It is uh, a Korean documentary, and so it's 
you can either just have the subtitles or you can do this dubbing thing now that they all do, which is, it's hit and miss. It's really strange. Um, and actually the next one that I, that I watched, Billion Dollar Code, is like this docudrama loosely based on a story that, that happened in the 90s where these, these German entrepreneurs and tech folks kind of came up with the concept and the, um, the code for what ended up being Google Earth and how they got kind of screwed out of stuff. Anyway, I do recommend that. That's good. But both of these have this, this, this situation where, like I said, you can either just watch it in its original language with uh, English subtitles, if, you're, if you don't understand the original language, or you can now add these, um, these dubbed type of, of things. And invariably, they are very poorly done, uh, I, I find. And so it's hard. And sometimes I'm, I'm I, I want to hear it in the actual, in, in the English, but if it's just dubbed really, really poorly, it takes something. And I, oftentimes I think a lot away from what you are listening, but those are two, uh, uh, two good things. A billion dollar code was, um, I think that's on Netflix too, uh, as is the, uh, raincoat killer. So those are both some, uh, Netflix things. And then, um, obviously last night we were working some, uh, some MLS, which we'll, which we'll talk about. Anything else, uh, Mossy? That's it. That's it. All right. Let's light this candle. You ready to go? Let's do it. All right. As you know, each and every week we kick the pod off with Alexi Lawless's state of the union. Yes. It's time for my state of the union, where I look at a part of the game from an American perspective. And this week it goes a little something like this. This whole MLS Supporters Shield concept with an unbalanced schedule is one of the stupidest things I've ever seen in my life. Hey, don't take it from me. That's actually a 2019 quote from none other than Bruce Arena, head coach of the New England Revolution, who, by the way, just won the 2021 MLS Supporters Shield. Quick, who were the Supporters Shield winners in 2019? Fact is, MLS is about winning MLS Cup. It always has been. The Supporters' Shield certainly is an accomplishment, but it rarely translates into an MLS Cup. Only seven of the 25 Supporters' Shield winners have gone on to win MLS Cup. That's 28%. Thanks, Rutgers. Show me a team celebrating a Supporters' Shield, and I'll show you a team who most likely failed in the playoffs. Bruce Arena knows this, and he knows his real revolution accomplishment is being first to give this MLS original team something that slipped through their fingers time and time again. For you youngsters, the revolution have never won MLS Cup, and they've lost five MLS Cup finals. Truly great MLS teams are teams that are able to parlay their supporter shield into an MLS Cup. So now we'll see if this New England revolution is one of those teams. All right, Mossy. So there is my uh, State of the Union for this week. And, you know, the Supporters Shield it, it has been around for a long time. And, and once again, this is not me poo-pooing winning of a, of a trophy or obviously this is you know, named after the supporters and how important the supporters are. And so I think it is rightfully celebrated. But as I said in the State of the Union, um, the the be all and end all for any MLS club and any MLS player, regardless of what they may say, and that's where the confetti comes down and the music plays, is MLS Cup. And we go through this each each and every year. Is how much credence to put on winning a supporters, uh, supporters' shield? As I said before, it does represent something that is worthy of praise in that you have given a consistency of success through the, the, through the year to your fans. And, and I do think, as I said, that that is worthy of attention uh, and praise. But 
once it once it comes and goes and we get into the playoffs very 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 quickly it is forgotten that's just the structure of major league soccer some people want to just finish it off at the uh, supporter shield i happen to love playoffs i happen to love the way there is this another bite at the apple but it does mean that sometimes what you have done for whatever the last eight months is very very quickly dismissed or thrown out uh thrown out of the way and all that is focused on is uh mls cup are you okay? And I probably have asked you this before, but are you okay with this format that creates this situation where such a big, what could be such a big accomplishment is kind of downplayed? I go on this rant every year on this podcast, and if you'll indulge me, I'm going to go on it, it again. Do it. Do uh, it. I think this is a weird dynamic that's been created. I don't like it. I think you have to pick one way or the other and own it. Either follow the quote unquote European model, have everybody play each other home and away, and whoever finishes with the most points is the champion, which in MLS's case, you'd have to scrap the whole concept of conferences. Um, and by doing it that way, you are uh, rewarding the best team each season. Or you could own the fact that, hey, we're Americans, we love playoffs, we love the excitement, the drama, the unpredictability of it, so we're going to be a playoff league. And that means the regular season then is only relevant in so much as it sets you up for the playoffs, home field, seating, first round buys, etc. That's how it is in the NFL, that's how it is in the NBA, that's how it is in Major League Baseball. And to use a soccer example, that's how it is in League MX. Uh, you have the Ligia and... All that ultimately matters is who wins the Ligia. Nobody then talks about who finished with the best regular season record. That was only relevant in terms of setting you up as a number one seed to have home field advantage throughout the Ligia. Uh, and I, I feel like in MLS, they've tried to have their cake and eat it too by, by creating this trophy and attaching a lot of prestige to it. And now you have this dynamic where there's actually a fair number of fans that say, I'd rather my team win the Supporters' Shield. I think that's a more worthwhile trophy. And I can't think of any other sports league where you crown a champion at the end of the season, you give out another trophy along the way, and where fans would actually argue that they'd rather win that other trophy than the championship. Wait a of second, what fans are you talking about? Who's arguing that they would rather win supporters? Uh, internet commenters. Oh, okay, got it. I got. It. I, I got. It. I don't. I don't think that. I, I don't think in, by any stretch of the imagination that there that there is this segment out there that stands on uh, the supporters' shield uh, principle. No, I. I, I I under like I said, I understand why it is done. Now, Bruce Arena, you know, who I mentioned in my State of the Union, to, to his credit, at, uh, at times when we have talked to him, he's also said, you know, maybe if we do it where each conference has their supportership, because it is so unbalanced that it is almost unfair to compare the schedule and what the New England Revolution have played to achieve this uh, this title as the supporters shield winner relative to someone in the West uh, that is that has played a very, very different type uh, type of schedule. Now, to the to the victor go the spoils and you play what is in front of you. Absolutely. I I I understand that. But and even more so what's what's happened over the last couple of years where this separation between conferences uh, has happened. MLS, though, to your point, when it comes to a, a business strategy and a competitive strategy, they like trophies. They like moments to celebrate. They like having that 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 money shot of the confetti coming down and the music playing, even in the in the context of uh, of a situation where there is still more to come. So I don't think that it, this is going anywhere. As a matter of fact, I think they might even you know double down and make more trophies within that. Now you do get you know Champions League, uh, Concacaf Champions League, so, so there is. <clears throat> Excuse me. There is, you know, a carrot out there for these teams, but you know, it it does bring up each and every year, like you said, we are having this conversation. 
And to your point about the unbalanced schedule, uh, to bring up internet commenters again, uh, <laughs> Seattle fans are really leaning into that argument uh, this season. They feel like uh, they've had a much tougher schedule and have much more impressive wins than New England, and that this is kind of a Fox supporter shield uh, that uh, New England has won. Do you, do you think there's have any sympathy for that argument or no? They've no, earned it. They, it's Seattle. And they are insufferable in <laughs> themselves. And so, no, they are never going to get any sympathy, regardless if I may even agree with what, <laughs> what they are saying. So uh, but when it comes to specifically to New England uh, right now, as I mentioned, and uh, I will repeat it because it does bear repeating in terms of history. And I know how much you love numbers and, and data and analytics out there. Seven of the 25 winners have gone on to win MLS Cup. So it doesn't happen a lot because there is this reset, this this new bite at the apple and everything that you've done before. I know there's seating and all that kind of stuff to position yourself. But really, it is this this refreshing physically and mentally. Uh, and sometimes you put yourself by winning the supporter shield in even a more difficult situation because the length of time from the last game you play, you know, New England is not going to play a game until the end of November because they're going to get that by. And while they can certainly heal up. You know, if you're a, a well-oiled machine, which they are, you start messing around with that either individually for players or collectively and what they are as a team, it could be problematic. Do you think that Bruce Serena, who, by the way, it should be said, two of those seven Bruce Serena has been in charge with over the years. So he does have a track record of parlaying Supporter Shield into MLS Cup. But with this particular New England uh, Revolution team, do you think that he can do it? And before, I, before you answer, I will say that this is as close to the most perfectly constructed MLS team that I have seen in terms of all that checklist that you have. Stars, um, depth, MLS experience, all, all of that kind of stuff. Obviously, the designated players are functioning on all cylinders right now. And even when they weren't, they still had other people that stood up. Um, uh, even when players were away, they have players that are playing like designated players that aren't even designated players, like Tejan Buchanan, those types of things. And they have populated with your Tommy McNamara's and, and Farrell's and these types of players that understand exactly what MLS. And it should come as no surprise that someone like Bruce Arena, with the help of Kurt Anofo, and congratulations to both of them, have constructed this type of MLS team that is so consistently uh, successful. Yeah, Bruce did the supporter show the MLS Cup double with uh, DC United in 1997 and the LA Galaxy in 2011. The last team to do it was Toronto in 2017. Another team on that list, by the way, the 2002 LA Galaxy, which featured in the center of defense. Uh, you don't my, say. My podcast. You partner. don't say. Yes. Uh, yes. But yeah, having a manager as experienced as Bruce Arena, I think, is clearly an advantage in terms of navigating these obstacles that you mentioned having this long layoff. So yeah, I think they have a, a real chance. I mean, the X factor in these playoffs is whether Seattle can get healthy. Uh, they're they're without Rui Diaz now, and they're still waiting on Jordan Morris and Nico Ladera. If they get all those guys back and humming for the playoffs, then as great a season as New England have had, I think Seattle would become the favorites then to win MLS Cup. But certainly New England have an excellent team so that they could absolutely win, win it all. Well, we saw that team, and we saw, look, uh, almost two versions of that team. Uh, we're, we're recording this on Monday, last night in Orlando, where Bruce Serena made nine changes and basically put out a completely different New England Revolution team, which, which struggled a, against Orlando until he put in basically all of his stars, uh, including uh, Adam Buxa, who... Uh, for my money, I at this time last year, I remember saying that Adam Buxa for me is not a designated player in Major League Soccer. And he has completely flipped the script and had a wonderful year, so much so that right now he is 
Um, and I'll, I'll, next week, I'll talk more about my MVP criteria and everything. But right now, he is absolutely in the running for winning my MVP for Major League Soccer. Next week, because I did want to... Do you want to hit that. on it? Well, you know, I don't want to pat myself on the back, but I... Uh, brought this up on the pod last week. I thought it would be good fodder because okay. everybody had been talking up Carlos Hill as the favorite. And I know you have this criteria where mm -hmm. based on that, he wouldn't even factor into the conversation. So I went there. You gave me the exact answer I was hoping for. I then turned around. I knew we had New England coming up. I told our producer, Johnny Araya, hey, stick a conversation there about MLS MVP. And we did it. And you said, again, that Carlos Hill does not belong in the conversation. Twitter flipped out. And so now we have a fun little you versus New England fans thing happening here. I, I tell you what, I will save most of it for next week as we get closer and closer. But I mean, this is this should come as no surprise because I've been pretty consistent over the years. And now it's, I mean, probably over the last decade. As we all know, Major League Soccer does not give us criteria when it comes to MVP. So if they're not going to give me any criteria, any type of formula, I'm going to make up my own. And as I've told you each and every year, you faithful listeners, and for those of you that don't know, my criteria are this. Uh, number one, it's only goal scorers. Okay, there is nothing more important in the game than putting the ball in the back of the net. And so therefore, that is the most valuable thing in the game. So it's only goal scores. It's not how many goals you score. It's how many different games you score in. I, I give incredible value to those that score on a consistent basis in that if I'm on your team and I'm walking out on the field and I already know because of history uh, that we were basically winning one nothing, that is that is incredibly valuable. So that's the, that's the second one. Uh, number uh, number three is um, let's see. OK. Uh, penalties don't count. All right. They should be a separate column. Uh, I, I'm not saying that there isn't a skill and a value to them, but I think sometimes it can really shade the way that we look at players. And number four, in a league where over half the teams make the playoffs, if you're going to be the MVP, you have to be on a team that makes the playoffs. So I will expand on this next week so even, you want to move even on more. For now. That's our little Cause, tease. Because I, I have some I know. arguments. Let's save, for next, week. Let's save it for, let's <laughs> save it for next week. But, 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 uh, but my final question to you is, before we move on to some other games, is do you think that Bruce Arena gets his third in terms of parlaying a Supporters' Shield into a MLS Cup this year? Like I said, the X factor for me is Seattle and whether they can get healthy. But uh, I'll say this. If Seattle is not 100% healthy, then I would pick Then it's New England's lose. Okay. I mean, there's... And, and to, my, uh, to my revolution friends out there and i am a a former revolution player i was there when they weren't they weren't good they since uh have certainly had years of good to greatness um but they they have been futile in in terms of uh, uh winning mls cup having lost in five different mls cups one last thing you mentioned we did the orlando new england game mm -hmm. last night orlando jumped out to a 2-0 lead and then new england equalized late uh, uh, John Strong, uh, you mentioned it was a player's only edition, so it was Stu Holden functioning as the host with you and Moe Du as the analyst. Uh, John Strong tried to make a Wally Pip reference, but I don't know if you saw totally he screwed it up. It. Totally He said it. Stu is the Wally Pip to Rob Stone's Lou Gehrig. It's the other way around. I, I mean, you, we, we could probably go back in the, uh, the annals of history and, uh, and we could identify the moment when this came on my consciousness, when you explained it to me. Uh, so vividly. And it's and it has stuck. I mean, that whole concept of being Wally pipped, I was my mind was expanded and I've used it countless times, as we know. But I, I at least had the respect and the understanding to use it correctly. <laughs> now, now he did quickly uh, clean it up. So I'm sure somebody came in his ear and, and, and explained, hey, you might want to clean that up because you didn't uh, 
quite use the the Wally Pip reference in the way that it was. Uh, you mentioned uh, so let's leave uh, let's leave New England and that, and that kind of stuff. But you did mention Seattle, um, and they're you know they're going to be fine. They're going to we'll see if they end up winning the West, but they are a solid team. And as you mentioned, they have players coming back, so they're only I think going to get uh, stronger going forward into the playoffs. But they did drop a game at home this weekend against Sporting KC, which is a very, very good team. And they came in rightfully, um, uh, I, I think, got the win with this caveat. OK, for those that, that, that watch the game, you'll know exactly what we're about to focus uh, focus in on. Uh, and for those that didn't, uh, Tim Melia is the goalkeeper for Sporting Kansas City. Uh, obviously, he was in goal this weekend up in Seattle. There came a point when there was a, a play in the box. And he and Christian Roldan, who plays for Seattle, got into it. And look at look at how awesome we are now. Look at look at that? look at what we got going on right now here. Um, you know, our our crack production crew just keeps taking it to a whole nother level. So we actually, I know if you're just listening, you can't yeah. see what's going on, but we have a huge big screen that is actually showing this play between the goalkeeper Tim Melia and Christian Roldan. There's some contact there. <laughs> So what ended up happening is Tim Melia felt like he was being harassed by by Christian Roldan here and took it up upon himself to not just grab Christian Roldan around the neck and shoulders, but then to flip him over back into the goal in what can only be described as this. I don't know, suplex type of wrestling move. And I, and I use that term specifically because I, I, I don't know if you saw this in the moment, but I saw it even in live right when it happened. I said, oh, that's not good. That's not good at all. And then certainly when I saw the replay, I said, that is a stone cold red card out of the game. Goodbye. Do not pass. Go do not collect 200. Go straight to the showers. Come to find out that not only did the referee in the moment not think that that was a red card, but VAR, which we know reviews things for possible clear and obvious uh, things that have been missed, also didn't think that it was a red car. And uh, Mr. Melia, as far as I'm concerned, was incredibly fortunate to continue on with the game. And by the way, his team ended up uh, winning. So it could have been a game changer in that uh, in that moment. First off, uh, thoughts on the uh, the actual play. I agree. It was such a bizarre play that the referees almost didn't know how to handle it but i mean i don't know how that's not uh, <laughs> a red card for Amelia, of course all right uh I, I mentioned um wrestling because um you heard of the rock guy right i have yes what's his real name does he have a real name uh, dwayne johnson dwayne dwayne the rock johnson right so this guy's got i don't know 12 million followers or or whatever and our, our crack digital team social media team over there proceeded to tweet out this and tagged him and wanting to get his uh, his take on this, which he did give. Um, do, do you know that the, <clears throat> the actual take that he gave? Do you know what he said? Uh, I don't have the tweet right in front of me. Oh, my goodness. I know, I know it's very exciting whenever a celebrity tweets about soccer. We have to flip out about it. But, it's, uh, it is very exciting um, that he cared about it. And, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to paraphrase it here. But he was 100% in agreement with, with us that this player should have gotten kicked out uh, of, the, uh, of the game. And all right, let's, so let's see. The Rock assumed that Melio was given a red card. You should never assume, Rock uh, or Dwayne, um, 
or Mr. Johnson, whoever, whatever you want me to call you. Uh, he was only given a yellow card for the devastating rock bottom body slam. And uh, the rock went on to explain in wrestling terms what this was. And actually, I think in his tweet, there was there was some admiration for what Tamilia did. However, I think that he was flabbergasted to to learn, as we all were, that this did not result in a red card. He did, however, uh, suppose that Christian Roldan, who had gotten flipped, got up and kicked Tamelia's ass. That did not happen. OK. Uh, and uh, actually, his brother came to his. He ain't heavy. He's my brother. Alex Roldan came uh, came to his uh, to his defense. But it was a, a big old Donnie Brook, uh, Donnie Brook there. You know, uh, wrestling is quite big at Fox now because we, we televise. Yes. So I, I've uh, triggered some fun control room debates by asking wrestling fans at Fox, what would be the Mount Rushmore of wrestlers? And you're talking Hogan, you're talking Flair, you're talking Andre the Giant, The Undertaker, The Rock, Stone Cold Steve Austin. And listening to people like Rob Stone and our producer Brad Weimer is a big fan getting into arguments about it. It's been it's been quite amusing. So. What do, they, what do they come up with? I mean, I don't is there, think they've settled on a to, I bet you someone would try to be cool and say, oh, this, you know, George the Animal Steel or, or Rowdy Roddy yeah. Piper or whatever it ends up being. So uh, it's, it's if, if you're If you're a grown man that's into wrestling, there's no cool in that <laughs> conversation. <so. laughs> oh, we just lost half our audience. Uh, I, I, this is off the top of my head, and I don't know anything about wrestling. Rob Stone took me to my first wrestling match, game, uh, whatever you call it. It was fun. It was really long. It was really, really long. <laughs> uh, I, off the top of my head, I would think that Mount Rushmore, if you can only have four, is uh, Hulk, Andre, The Rock, and Stone Cold. Does that sound that sound right? I mean, tell us out there. Arguably, the seminal moment in wrestling history occurred at the Pontiac Silverdome. So a young Alexi Lawless WrestleMania. WrestleMania three when Hogan slammed the giant. Yep, exactly. So anyway, tell us uh, who you think your, your Mount Rushmore of wrestling should be. Believe me, I guarantee that the wrestling folks out there have had this conversation time and time again. So I, we're, we are not breaking any new ground. I, I look off camera and our producer, Luis Aguilar, is jotting down notes into some pad. What could it be? Like, it's, get it's rid of these two. Let's, <laughs> move on. Move on. All right. We will move on. We will move on. Um, you know, in, a, in a weekend of, of big uh, score lines and stuff like that, MLS had theirs, uh, theirs too. NYCFC, who, for my money, is, is one, of the, uh, one of the elite teams in Major League Soccer. However, their record, and certainly the record of late, has not has not uh, has not shown that. And so they basically they would find themselves in positions to score and just not have that final action. Well, they've kind of built up <laughs> and they took it out on poor DC United. Uh, I thought uh, DC United goalkeeper Bill Hamid at some point was just going to lose it and just walk off the field and start screaming at the uh, at the sky. So NYCFC ends up beating DC United six nothing, a historic loss to NYCFC for DC United, uh, NYCFC, a team that's been winless in their last six games um, and almost out of the playoffs, but they come storming back with this. And certainly if, I mean, in both, in both uh, conferences, everything is close and everything changes day, week to week and game to game. And so at some point, if it comes down to goal differential or whatever, you never know how this might play in. Well, yeah, NYCFC now above the playoff line. And the crazier story is with their local rivals, the Red Bulls, who they we are left for dead. Fire. I was cracking jokes about them being the Fredo of the Red Bull universe there. Uh, unbeaten in eight. They've won their last four. They beat Columbus this past weekend. They are now above the playoff line. So it looks yep. like we could have both uh, New York teams in the postseason. Yeah, so... So from a New York perspective, it's it's looking good, at least the fact, you know, where we where we have that line in terms of good and uh, good and bad. Um, 
I do think that this, from a DC United perspective, I mean, look, I think DC United is a much improved team. I don't think that it's reflective of who DC United is here. Um, I just think it was one of those days, uh, when, both for NYCFC in terms of the amount of goals they scored and the gifts that they were uh, that they were that they were given by even by Bill Hamid at different uh, at different times. So I think if you're DC United, you put this away and just today there's nothing much that we can take out of this, and you uh, you move on. Speaking of of bad though, should we move to Texas? Sure. All right. Texas, we know, has three MLS teams. Okay. The Houston Dynamo, uh, FC Dallas, and a new expansion team, uh, Austin. Uh, they all suck. All right. Um, they are all bad. Now they're just vying for who's the best of the bad when it comes to uh, to Texas. Right now, as it stands, uh, they are all missing the playoffs. Um, they are all in the bottom three of the West. And this is, this is not good, obviously, for the individual teams, but this is also not good for an area of the country that we know loves its soccer, that uh, we know is certainly a producer of plenty of great soccer players. But from an MLS perspective, they can't get their act together uh, down there. Is, there. is there something in the water, Mossy? What's going on down there in Texas? Well, in a head-to-head -head battle, uh, Austin beat, did beat Houston 2-1 this yep. weekend. I actually, I know you've uh, identified Austin as one of your disappointments this season. You're okay know. with it. I actually think they've been fun. They yeah, have. To, to your point, it has, it, has it been a failure? Yes, in that I think they, that we all expected more from them. But you're absolutely right. If you're going to fail, at least be entertaining. And they have been entertaining to your to your point. They have been fun to watch. Obviously, that new stadium certainly helps. But the way that they have played, as opposed to someone like, I don't know, Cincinnati, where they're not they're, they're, they're horrible and it's a failure and they're not even fun to watch. Yeah. And, and in Dallas, we've talked about the youth yeah. development uh Jesus Ferreira scored this this past weekend, 2-2 draw uh, against the Galaxy. Uh, Pe Pepe came on in that game. So, you know, they have these exciting young players. So you're sort of trying to reconcile that with their record this season. And, and you know, is, it, is there hope for the future because of these young players? Or the model there is to unload these guys so it's not really going to pay dividends uh, on the field. All right. Should we finish it up with who we think is actually going to, you know, make, well, make these playoffs? I mean, yeah, I mean, you mentioned the three Texas teams being out. LAFC are also on the outside looking in. Yep. The amazing thing about that is they absolutely nailed a midseason signing in this. Christian Arango has 12 goals in 14 games. He has completely filled that Rossi void. It's amazing. Uh, and yet they still can't get the results they need to get above the playoff line. They, they drew against Minnesota. Uh, and so here they are, uh, three points out of the playoffs and running out of games here. So... Uh, yeah, they're, they're, yeah, I mean, uh, so everybody is still in the running up to the 10th place San Jose team. As we mentioned, the, the next three are not in the running. They are eliminated Houston, Dallas and Austin. Everybody else is still in the running. It's going to be you know, very difficult for San Jose at 37 points. LAFC, I mean, you mentioned Carlos Vela. It, it, I love Carlos Vela as a player, but my love for Carlos Vela as a player is predicated on him actually being on the soccer field. And I, it's, it's got to be frustrating for LAFC folks, including Bob Bradley and, and company there, and, and for his teammates, that, that he's not on the field. And whatever this, this injury is, whether it is actually physical, if it's something that's going on uh, that we don't know about, I mean, this is, this is a, a guy who's making millions and millions of dollars. And at one point, 
was everything and worth every penny and probably more. And we haven't seen him on the field. And but they do have they do have good players, but I don't think that they're going to make the playoffs right now. And that would be, as I said, a huge failure given the amount of talent that they have, the amount of money that they have, and the way that we have talked about LAFC and the echelon, the higher echelon that we have put them in over their uh, over the course. So they're still young, uh, but very very successful MLS uh, MLS uh, time. The other big game, we mentioned Sporting KC winning away to Seattle. The other big game in the West, Colorado beat Portland 2-0. Portland all of a sudden have hit the skids, and, mm-hmm. and they're not totally in the clear yet as far as the playoffs. Meanwhile, Colorado's right up there with uh, Seattle and Sporting KC near the top of the standings. So uh, look, I think Bruce Arena is going to win Coach of the Year, but I absolutely think that Robin Frazier has done more with less. And, and, and in doing so, has actually made Colorado relevant again. I mean, that in and of itself is a feat worthy of being coach of the year. Um, and that they are sitting at 55, like you said, 55 points, three points behind Seattle. They've already clenched a playoff, uh, playoff spot. Now, he's been able to kind of go under the radar because people kind of dismissed Colorado. And so that type of attention and pressure that comes with being the favorite isn't, isn't part of it. But Hats off to that whole Colorado team and obviously the leader when it comes to uh, what Robin Frazier has uh, has done there. And to circle all the way back to Sporting KC for a second, I want to be fair because I mentioned Seattle's injuries and them wanting to get Jordan Morris and Nico Lodero and Rui Diaz all back. Uh, Sporting KC are dealing with a similar thing with Alan Polito, who I think is a real difference maker on the team. Mm-hmm. He's missed a ton of games this season. He missed their playoff games last season, but they're hoping to get him back healthy. Uh, hopefully play the last game or two of the regular season to sort of shake off the rust and then be ready to go for the playoffs. And if that happens, that that's a game changer for them because I think he's a terrific player. Look, and I'm going to be very sensitive and delicate in the way that I, well, no, I'm not because I'm, <laughs> I can't do that. There's a difference, as we always say, between being hurt and being, uh, being injured. I, I think that there is a concern when it comes to fans, when it comes to coaches, when it comes to teammates that, you're not doing everything that you possibly can to play through things and play through pain. Look, if you are waiting to be 100%, it will never come, okay? The last time that I or anybody that ever played the game was 100%, we were 10 years old, okay? It, it, it never, ever returns to that. So there is an element of pain and consistent pain that every athlete I would probably submit in every sport has to be able to play through. There is a pain threshold that differentiates different players, but I think that there is fairly and rightfully frustration that occurs and increases over time when your interpretation of a teammate or of a player that you have as a coach or as a fan of a player that you have, when your interpretation is that this person is not playing through things. And I'm not saying playing through things where you're going to hurt yourself. I'm just saying, I guess in the grumpy old guy type of way, suck it up, all right? In, in, in being, in, in recognizing that, yeah, there is pain and there is hardship. And if you're, like I said, if you're just constantly waiting for all of that to go away, then you'll be constantly waiting to play. 
So when you add up all the games that Chicharito, Carlos Vela, and Alan Pulido have missed this season, fair to say Mexicans are soft? Is that, what we're, <laughs> is that how we're going to end this segment? That's not what I said at all. That is not what I said at all. It has nothing to do with, uh, with where you're from or, or anything like that. Believe me, there, there, are, there are plenty of Mexican national team players and Mexican players out there that are hard as rocks that I would... I would love to have on my team. <laughs> All right. Anything else, Mossy? That's it. All right. We're going to take uh, another quick break. And when we come back, oh, yeah, we'll take a trip around the, uh, the rest of the world because there was all sorts of stuff that, uh, that happened that is content, mana from heaven, shall we say. All right. We'll be back in a sec. All right, we're back, and it's time for our European roundup. Uh, Mossy, what do we what do you want to start with? Because there's there's all sorts of stuff that happened. You know, I don't like to throw Luis Aguilar under the bus ever, but you will. Uh, there was an early iteration of this rundown, which began with Champions League, and we'd be celebrating United's great comeback win against Atalanta, and then later on transitioning to their game against Liverpool. And I said, wait a minute, bearing the lead. it doesn't make any sense this week. Let's. There's, yeah, it goes bearing the lead start. and there is, you know, putting it like <laughs> down in a, a sinkhole. This L- is let's uh, let's start with the weekend stuff. There were tons of big games in all the different leagues and I'll sprinkle in Champions League stuff here and there where I think it's relevant. Uh, so let's start with the biggest game okay. of them all, which was uh, Manchester United against uh, Liverpool. Uh, I mean, I don't know what to say. Uh, Liverpool go in there five nil uh, victory, historic result. This is United's worst loss since you have to go all the way back to October of 2020. Not that long ago. They lost 6-1 to Tottenham. Last year. But, um, but it's Liverpool's biggest ever away win over United, their biggest win over United period since 1925. And here's the money stat. Mo Salah, the first visiting player to score a hat-trick at Old Trafford since my Ronaldo scored three for Real Madrid in a Champions League quarterfinal second leg back in 2003. It's a famous game. David Beckham came off the bench, scored twice for United. Uh, months before signing with Real Madrid. And that game altered Premier League history because supposedly it was that game that Roman Abramovich watched and was so blown away by the atmosphere that prompted him to want to buy a Premier League team. He bought Chelsea and... The rest is history. Yep. Okay. I think that we can boil this all down to one question. Uh, (laughs) And so there will be more, but I'm going to ask you this one question, Masi. Is it that... Manchester United does not have the talent to do what a lot of people expect. Or is it that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, the head coach, does not have the talent, not have what it takes to get the most out of this talent? And because that's ultimately because Ole in, Ole out, all this kind of stuff that is going to continue to go on. And rightfully so. I mean, it would happen any place, any place else, given these types of results and given this type of uh, beating that they that they took. But what you have to decide is, is there somebody else out there that could come in and do better with this assembled group of talent, which is high priced and is undeniably talented here? Yes, um, there are issues with that squad. It's not a perfect squad, and we'll get to that in a second. But a shaky manager exacerbates those issues. I think if you put a better guy in there, he could work around some of the. What does that mean better, though? What what does it mean better? I mean, Ole has has only improved the team in the years that he has been there. Yeah, but as I said at the start of the season, uh, uh, Manchester United, I got a little bit of a Frank Lampard last season. Uh, with Chelsea vibe out of the situation, which is to say, you know, Lampard had done a pretty good job the previous campaign. Chelsea, if you recall, were under a transfer ban, so they had to rely on a lot of young players. It was 
to the extent that this ever exists at Chelsea, a transition season. And he did pretty well. They finished in the top four. They got to the FA Cup final. They got to the knockout stages of the Champions League. But then the transfer ban was lifted. They went out. They spent a ton of money. They brought in the, the Werners and Havertz and ZX. And all of a sudden, it was this star-studded squad that was built to win major trophies. And you thought, well, I don't know if this job's gotten a little too big for Lampard now. And sure enough, he struggled. They made a change. They brought in Tuchel, ended up winning the Champions League. And I think it's a somewhat similar dynamic here. I continue to say, I think Sochar did a pretty good job following Mourinho and bringing some calmness and stability there. Uh, but as they've kept spending money and adding pieces, uh, including most notably when you add a 36-year-old Cristiano Ronaldo, that means you're in win-now mode. That's a final piece to the puzzle type of move. And so this team is built to win major trophies this season. And you think about it, is realistically, is Ole Gunnar Solskjaer the manager that's going to lead him to a Premier League or Champions League title? But why do you and the say answer his is name no. with such disdain? It's, <laughs> I, I just think I, I don't, you look at the other, you look at the other, and we thought it was going to be a big four in the Premier League. It's really right. a big three, and United belong sure. in that Arsenal, Tottenham, uh, as far as the big six go. Um, but you know, you look at the other big three and you've got Klopp, Pep and Tuchel and you're you have Ole Gunnar Solskjaer that that's bringing a knife to a gunfight I'm sorry he's just not on the level of those three and I think if you put any one of those three in charge of United like I said they would figure out a way to work around some of the problems and do a better job than he's doing do you think that the fact that he is a I, I mean I mean I don't know if he's a club legend but he is certainly a a player of note and notoriety uh when it comes to Manchester United and his history there and his his past. Do you think that that has actually worked against him because I if he was not a former Manchester United great I think that our perception of him would be different. There were those that say that he actually has benefited from the fact that he, and maybe he would have been gone earlier had he had he not had this connection to the past. I'm more on that side. You I are, think really? it's bought him a lot of goodwill with the fans. I don't, uh, you, you think it's actually a negative? I think that it is exacerbated, to, to use your word, because of, of who he is. And it would be, I'm, I'm not saying that whoever, somebody different wouldn't be under pressure right now or wouldn't come in for criticism. But I just think that this, to your point, the disdain is different. <laughs> and, and I just saw it. I mean, I saw it in the way that you talked about him. And, and I mean, it doesn't it doesn't change the fact that the that 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 people feel this way about him. You can't change what your heart, you know, your heart feels when it comes to something like that. But I just think that it is it's personal to a lot of people in a strange way. Now, I wouldn't get rid of him unless you have a replacement lined up. Sure. So if, if, this, cool. I mean, if this hasn't started already, I would begin the courting process with the two big names that are out there, Zidane and Antonio Conti. Right. Um, I think either one would be an improvement over Solskjaer. The Ajax manager, Eric Ten Hag, has suddenly become a very hot guy here. And we'll get to Ajax in a minute because I'm very impressed with that team. Uh, but he's gainfully employed, so there's no guarantee he would leave Ajax midseason. Uh, the interesting dynamic here is Manchester United have some competition on the managerial front from Newcastle, who finally put Steve Bruce out of his misery. And so they're in the market for managers as well. And some of the same names are getting tossed around for them. So who would have thought? If you're <laughs> looking, though, I mean, if you're looking at it with, I mean, so notwithstanding the fact that I do believe that somebody from the outside would look and say, geez, that's, that is a lot of talent to work with there. And they might not be getting the most out of it. But, but if you're looking at, at, at it from a practical perspective, you're going to have plenty of money at Newcastle. It, 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 I'm, I'm assuming that they stay up, but that's that's a big assumption. But let's say that they stay up. Still, the room to grow is so much more vast than at Manchester United. And, and, it's, and the pressure is still going to be there. But I think, yeah, I mean, I, I think that it will turn heads in a way 
that it hasn't happened when it comes to Newcastle relative to Manchester United. So, yeah, there's a new sheriff in town. Now, in terms of the structural issues with United, uh, the Ronaldo conundrum has become fascinating to me. And I'm going to hearken back to the Champions League game because I thought that really exemplified the dilemma that people are dealing with. Uh, they were down 2-0 in that game, and everybody was pointing out the fact that having Ronaldo on your team, uh, he doesn't lift the finger defensively. He completely undermines your ability to press higher up the field. So it puts a lot of pressure on that midfield, which isn't great. That central midfield is the weakest part of that squad. They don't have the same pedigree there that they do everywhere else with guys like Fred and McTominay. Uh, and so they're, they're struggling, they're giving up chances, they're trailing 2-0. Ronaldo's taking a lambasting on Twitter. And then they have this stirring second half comeback in which he scores a dramatic late winner. And then the Ronaldo fans come out in full force and say, look, you're overthinking this. Look at how many goals this guy scores. He scores clutch goals. To your point, when we're talking about MLS MVP, goals win games. That's the most important asset you can have as a guy that finds the back of the net with regularity. And so, I don't know. I think the answer is probably somewhere in the middle because I do think Ronaldo has become a player that he, having him on your team takes some things off the plate, you know, in terms of how you can play collectively, he takes some things off the table, but he also provides you with goals. So trying to figure out Ronaldo's value to a team right You're now. You're dumping is, on Ronaldo too. I mean, why is it, why is it Cristiano Ronaldo's fault? Why, why is this being heaped well, on him? And frankly, even the Liverpool game, he did score a phenomenal goal in the second yeah. half, which was wiped out for one of those only in the Premier League offsides because I've seen that replay. I, I cannot fathom that he was even when they show, But even when they showed the lines, I thought that it showed that he was onside. I, I, that was Frankly, the Jota goal, Liverpool's second goal, that one to the naked eye looked offside to me, but hey, they drew the line. They said one was good, the other wasn't. So I guess, like, but let's say that goal stands. Ronaldo fans would have come out of that game and said, look, he did his job. He scored a goal. It's not his fault. You conceded five. But some people say it is his fault. Partly his fault you're conceding five because, you know, you're looking at a team as a whole unit. And and so the way he plays even affects your defensively and, and your shape and all that. So, yeah, you get into a real sort of in the weeds sort of tactical thing there. But it, it's just an interesting conundrum that you, we could actually be debating whether a team. Be, and by the way, this debate started with Juventus. You're now hearing some Juventus people saying they're not entirely displeased that he they, that they, he left the team. So you're talking about one of the greatest all right. players of all okay. time who's all still right. putting up amazing numbers, but there's this debate right now sure. about whether, I mean, they're Rodney Marsh, I, I heard say it's one of the worst signings in Manchester United history. <laughs> I mean, uh, you know. Rodney didn't defend. <laughs> <laughs> Messi doesn't defend. Oh my goodness. Uh, I don't know. I think, I, I, I th I think it's unfair. I think it's unfair to Cristiano uh, uh, Ronaldo. Although we did say last week when, when you sign somebody like that, you should be prepared for how he plays. I mean, it's not as if we haven't seen him over the last 15 years play. We know, and I know he's evolved over time, but we know what player he is. You knew what type of player uh, you were getting. All right, so does Ole uh, survive this? No, uh, he'll be out sometime in the next few weeks. Okay, all right. All right, what else? Uh, well, you know, I began this segment by saying clearly the biggest match of the weekend was Manchester and Liverpool. And that is noteworthy in itself because this was a weekend that also featured Barcelona, Real Madrid. But I stand by that. I think enough luster has been taken off that fixture. Yep. And there was so many fascinating storylines with the United-Liverpool game. By the way, we, we didn't even mention Mo Salah, who I, I think right now is playing the best of any player in the world. He had two goals in their Champions League win away at Atletico Madrid and then a, a hat-trick, uh, as I mentioned right. when I gave the Ronaldo stat. So why is he playing better than Lewandowski or something? I just think his, his overall impact on the game, he's scoring, he's setting up goals, which I know you don't assist. You, you, you believe in goals. No, he's prettier. He's prettier. 
Uh, he's a handsome man, but no, not as a uh, as a man. The things that he does that he does. So you think are he's pretty. flashier, so yeah. we don't we tend to overlook Lewandowski because he's just sort of yeah. this that big lumbering target. Yes, exactly. Fair enough. So you're still riding for Lewandowski all the way. Yeah. Yeah, we'll, we'll get uh, look, I love Mo Salah, and I think any team in, in the world would love to would love to have. But okay, uh, transitioning to the Clasico. So Real Madrid go in there, they get a two-one win. Um, I hate to be this guy, but I, I was disappointed with the overall quality of this game. I think it really showed how, how much you know. We know the issues at Barcelona, but this is not a vintage Real Madrid team either. They're better, but they're not that great. So they went in there, they played. Okay, I thought, and that's enough these days to, to beat Barcelona. They get a, a two-one victory, um, so well, it, you know further it, problems for Barcelona. But I don't. I don't it I don't, was kind of set up to fail in that the the whole setup, despite everyone's best efforts to make it something that unfortunately it isn't, and and then you got a game that was. Eh. Okay, I mean, and Serginho Dest. Uh, Roller coaster day because you know. missed an absolute sitter in the first yeah. half. I thought, you know, Coyman uh, overthought that. You know, Serginho Dest, he, he's very versatile. He can play a lot of different positions, but his best position is right back. So it's also something for Greg Berhalter to think about. You know, I think as often as you can, that's the position you want. Really, because there's a lot of people that are screaming and yelling saying that he should he should be higher up the field well, and he, they should play him in a winger more he, winger. He started type of as position. a winger in this game, so Coyman could play this. Center back Mingueza on the right side uh, to match up with Vinicius, and I thought Mingueza and Des were the two worst players on the field in the first half. That whole side of the field was just a disaster, and Vinicius had a field day in the first half with Mingueza. Ended up getting subbed off at the half, um, and then in the second half he moved Dest into that right back position and. Actually, Vinicius, ironically enough, didn't do as much and really faded out of the game. And Des pr did pretty well going forward. He ended up setting up a goal for Aguero, virtually the last kick of the game, so it didn't matter. Um, but so, I mean, it was so a bit of a roller coaster day for Des, but that that was a bad miss in the first half. That could have changed the whole tenor of that did game. Did you think that that the moments and the history and the tradition was going to elevate this in, in a way? I mean, are we surprised that that's the way the game played out? We're looking at one of the weakest Barcelona teams in in a long time. And as and to your point, while while Real Madrid is better, and I still think that it's going to be ultimately Real Madrid and, and Atletico when it comes to the end of this uh, this La Liga season. This is certainly not a a Real Madrid of uh, of the past. So. Our, were you surprised that it played out like this? No, no. Okay. Like I said, I think Real Madrid went in there, got kind of a ho-hum, take care of business win. I don't think they were that great, but they, they played well enough to beat this Barcelona side. I actually, hot take, didn't think Vinicius was as great as the Spanish media is making him out. They're, they're very into him right now, so they're, they're, every performance of his now is his cause for celebration. Thought he was, like I said, the first half he played well, Second half, not so much, but just overall, I thought it was a bit of a come down from his unbelievable performance against Shakhtar in the Champions League where he scored a, well, his second goal in that game was like a masterpiece. Um, so, you know, and, and Rodrigo, I don't think played that well, though he did have the assist on the Alaba goal, which what a finish. He's been a great signing, by the way, that Alaba Militel center back pairings really coming together nicely. They have that midfield, although Casemiro is not in great form right now. He's had, had some really bad giveaways in that game, but still that trio of Casemiro, Modric and Cruz can typically control games for them. Benzema wasn't at his best in this game, but still, he's Kareem Benzema. So, Ramadan, they have some pieces, but uh, overall, I don't think they're they're up there as one of the top handful of teams. Well, this is, this is not good news for either of these teams in terms of their brand. This is a much bigger, bigger picture, but this is also not good for La Liga. If your premier and your marquee event that is, you know, because of tradition and history, obviously uh, tuned into globally, does not does not deliver, and 
not for nothing, but you know, your two biggest stars that you've built for the over the last uh, ten years are no longer in that league. That's you know, that's problematic for a league that has put all of their eggs into the Barcelona, Real Madrid, and El Clasico basket. They're working, and Sid Lowe wrote a column about this. They're working really hard to cultivate this Vinicius Ansufati rivalry as if that's going to be the next generation's Messi and Ronaldo and a lot of debates and polls and newspapers, which is better. But as Sid Lowe said in his comment, it feels a bit forced at this point. Right, right. <laughs> so they're just scratching for something there. So uh, as I mean, I know it's still early days. We're in October right now, but but, but prognosticate uh, as this as this plays out and we'll have, you know, a, a, a winter window and all that kind of stuff. You think it's Real Madrid? I think and it's going to be between Real and Atletico. Real says that have been the revelation so far. They're actually at the top of the table right now. And they really enhanced their credentials this weekend. They were away to Atletico Madrid, had a 2-0 lead in the second half, could have had a great result. And then Luis Suarez scored twice to salvage a point. But still, uh, Sociedad showed that at least for now, they're, they're, they're for real. They belong up there near the top of the table. I don't think they'll stay there. Like I said, when the dust settles, I think it's between the two Madrid clubs. And it'll be a very close race right until the end. Okay. What else? Uh, next up, Syria. We had two massive games. Uh, let me go opposite order from what uh, Luis has in the rundown. Roma Napoli first, nil-nil uh, draw. Uh, Mourinho got sent off in this game. Although <laughs> this was this was an improvement from their last game because I don't know if you saw they lost six-one yeah. to. Yeah. I think it's Bodo Glimt. I've never even heard of the team. I don't know how to pronounce the name. That Norwegian. tells the whole story right yeah. there. And, and, and Mourinho after, after that game, game was, was just wonderful. It's just. Yeah, a, a lot of American success stories in Europe. Brian Reynolds right now. I'm, I'm not sure about yeah, it. Yeah, you, you do not want to be on that team. And unfortunately, he was. And Mourinho after that, that game said, their first team is better than our second team. Yeah, so. but And it's my fault. I put them out there and. I take all the blame. He got sent off in this game. Luciano Spalletti got sent off as well at the end of the game. First drop points of the season for Napoli. Uh, so they're now level on points with AC Milan at the top of the table. They both have eight wins, one draw, 25 points. And they've created some distance between themselves and everybody else. They're seven points clear of Inter and 10 points clear of Juventus. So those two teams have gotten off to great starts here. And it's going to be tough for Inter and Juventus to catch up. Those two teams played each other. Uh, Inter and Juve. Inter thought they had a win. They were leading 1-0 late on a goal by Dzeko. And then I thought a really harsh penalty after a VAR review. I don't know if you've got to look at this play, but very questionable. Dumfries uh, called for a foul on Alexandro on the edge of the box there. Yeah, there's some contact, but man, to whistle a penalty on that play, I thought was incredibly harsh. Simone Inzaghi flipped out. He got tossed. A lot of managers getting sent off in Italy this weekend. And so Dybala converts the penalty. Juve able to salvage a point. Inter were furious afterwards, and I don't blame them. I thought that was, <laughs> they were really harshly done by the referee. All right, so as you mentioned, uh, Napoli, uh, you're buying them? I'm buying them. Okay. Uh, Milan, AC Milan at second right now? I continue now? to say, Stefano Pioli, the most underrated uh, manager in Europe because they have a good squad, but not that good. He, he works wonders with that team, and, and there, there they are. I mean, back All right. near the top. And Juventus, like you mentioned, Creeping back up there uh, at sixth. Uh, our American guys over there at Venezia still hanging in there at 16th <laughs> out of the rele relegation zone, which is for them an accomplishment. Uh, Busio uh, again played this weekend, although he did come off uh, with an injury. I haven't seen anything uh, as of today of how he is uh, how he is doing, but he's playing and uh, they're doing, like I said, better than a lot of people thought. Anything else uh, Serie A wise? Uh, that's it. Okay. Uh the other uh, huge game, Marseille played host of PSG, uh, finished nil-nil. Uh, look, PSG, uh, you look on the surface, everything seems okay. They're in first place in their Champions League group with uh, seven points from three games, and they're comfortably ahead uh, in Ligue 1. They're seven points clear. And in this match, 
they get a point away from home in a game where they played most of the second half down a man because Hakimi got a red card, which by the way, I know this is a big theme for me this week. I thought was very harsh, VAR decision to show him a straight red on that. I know he's the last defender, but there wasn't that much contact on the play. Um, so on the surface, you can look down and say, oh, look, don't overreact. Everything's fine. But man, it just doesn't feel right. I don't think they were that good against Leipzig. They were somewhat fortunate to beat Jesse Marsh and Leipzig in their Champions League game. Messi scored twice in that one. Mbappe, who was phenomenal, got the other. They came from behind to win 3-2. If you keep doubting PSG, eventually you're going to be right. I mean, at and some then, point they're going to. And like I said, this isn't on paper a terrible result. Marseille are a pretty good team. Um, but it just doesn't, and, and Neymar was atrocious in this game. He threw everybody off the scent with that Uruguay performance, even made me think, well, okay, maybe I was overreacting. Everything's fine. This was back to the Neymar that prompted that whole rant for me that day that we might be seeing a Ronaldinho-like decline because he looked awful. Messi didn't look that great either. You know, he's camouflaged so, with a couple of nice goals here in their Champions League games, but overall, he's not playing that well. It's just not clicking right now. So and, why aren't you calling for the coach's head? Well, you know, we talk about Manchester United's coaching yeah. search. Pochettino's name gets thrown out there because there's this notion that he's not long for PSG and he's pining for a return to England. So if they waited out long enough, he might be available. We'll see. Yeah, I mean, I don't think they, they made a midseason change last season. They blew up on their face getting rid of Tuchel and then Tuchel goes to Chelsea and does what he did. So I don't think they want to do that two years in a row as long as the results are okay. Wait, wait, wait. so you're saying that the possibility exists that, you, that they would entertain Pochettino gets fired from PSG but then goes to Manchester United? <laughs> what the hell? This is more just... Anti Ole. I mean, I mean, look, I, I'm not saying. And by the way, I know I'm going. I'm circling back here. I, I do think that he should be uh, changed. I think he's had plenty of opportunities. So yeah, yeah, no, no, no problem. But maybe not for the reasons, and not with the, you know, the the the, the attitude that you and others seem to to have when it comes to him. Especially now with this hypocr hypocrisy of PSG and the Pochettino. Oh, whatever. Okay, <laughs> I digress. Uh, so that's it for France, and then we'll end with Germany. Which a couple things there. Uh, Erlen Holland uh, is out right now, and the latest is the injury might be more serious than initially anticipated. He might be out for the rest of this year, might not come back until 2022. Oof. Gio Reyna is still out. They did get a win over Armenia Bielefeld uh, this past weekend. They're only one point behind Bayern, but this is my big point I want to make about Germany this weekend. You know, Bayern, because they dominate the Bundesliga regardless, it's sometimes tough to tell whether they're just normal good or extra good. And this might be a season where they're extra good. I wasn't sure how that dressing room was going to take the Nagelsmann. It seems like they like him. Uh, Upa Makano is fitting great at the back. Sabitzer took a little while to adapt, but now he's coming on. He started this past weekend against Hoffenheim, played well. They, they thumped Hoffenheim 4-0 after beating Benfica 4-0 in the Champions League. They are scoring just an outrageous amount of goals this season, looking like a machine. Nagelsmann's got him pressing really high. It's suffocating, intense press. They're winning the ball backs. Lewandowski doing Lewandowski things. And it just seems like everybody's happy there. And, and they're going to be an absolute, obviously they're going to pull away and win the Bundesliga, but I think even for the Champions League, they, they need to be right, right up there this season as a contender to win it. Um, and this, this, you'll follow me here. It does have a little bit of Bundesliga connection, but I, I, before, we, before we head out to the, the next segment, um, Josh Sargent, do you think he made a mistake going to the EPL? Uh, well, Josie Altidore is breathing a sigh of relief because his stint at Hull and Sunderland suddenly <laughs> don't look so bad. This looks like it's going to be a really depressing season. And yeah, in retrospect, as a striker, I know it's the Premier League, but you go to a team that's that bad, you know, it's... I, I, he had to. He had to take it. It's the Premier League, uh, whether it's the money, whether it's the stepping stone uh, that is up from where you are. But he also knew where he was going. He was not going to get service and it was going to be a, a struggle. Now, he also has, hasn't helped his situation because 
for the most part, unless you are in that in that cocoon and, and fostered from a young age, at some point, every goal scorer has been in a situation where it it's dire or let's say at the very least difficult. OK, and they have been able to shine despite the challenges and uh, and the difficulties uh, that exist. And Josh Sargent, uh, while he did that, which is what enabled his move to APL, has not been able to do that uh, with, with, with Norwich. I don't think he necessarily misses Germany and or playing in Bundesliga or the, or the second Bundesliga. But uh, uh, but uh, this this conversation, this narrative that he made, he made a mistake. You know, he did what every player would have done. Now it's up to him to find just moments. And I know it's difficult to shine to then get that move to a place where you are getting service and where you are playing for a much better team. I don't know if he's if he has the uh, talent enough to do that, but every goal scorer in uh, in the game at some point has done that at a young age, at an early age, and then parlayed that into something because people have looked at it and extrapolated it out. Uh, two more things. Uh, there was a, a game that got kind of lost uh, this weekend because this league has really kind of lost its luster a little bit. Uh, but Ajax played PSV, which once upon a time, that was one of the biggest games in Europe. And Ajax thumped them 5-0. I mentioned Bayern Munich scoring a crazy amount of goals this season. Ajax are as well. They were coming off a 4-0 win over Dortmund in the Champions League. They have three wins out of three in the Champions League group stage. So Ajax have that look that they had you know, three seasons ago when they made it all the way to the semifinal. Should have made it to the final if it wasn't for Lucas Mora going nuts in that second half. Um, so that's a, that's a farm league classico, if you will. Yeah, man, I mean, oh man. Very, very impressed with Ajax this season, which has put their, their manager, Eric Ten Hag, very much on the shop window of all these big clubs being after him. They have, as you'd expect from Ajax, some terrific young players like Anthony and Gravenberch, uh, and also guys like some older guys like Holler and Tadic playing well. So uh, they have a Mexican international, Edson Alvarez, in there. So uh, good stuff happening with Ajax. Very impressed with you them this season. You think Ole Gunnar Solskjaer could coach Ajax? Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. I'm just going to keep saying his name with disdain because I know right. it. it's just it's just horrible. <laughs> uh, and then last last thing I want to sneak in here. I'm going off the rundown, so I'm completely oh, okay. undermining right, Luis cool, Aguilar. Cool. But I know you're big into this World Cup every two years yes. topic. Yes. So an interesting development on that front. As you know, UEFA they've created this Nations League competition in an effort to eliminate. Uh, friendlies and have more meaningful international action. And it must be said, to this point, it's been a big success. There's been two editions of it. Teams have taken it seriously. It culminates with this fun Final Four. Right. By the way, incidentally, the, the same um, argument that Arsene Wenger has made uh, about right. important games, better competition, uh, less games, but more important games. Right. Yeah. Portugal won the first edition. France uh, just won uh, the second one. Uh, some of the other regions have followed suit, including CONCACAF, mm -hmm. who created a CONCACAF Nations League. The U.S. won the first edition of that, beating Mexico in this great final in Denver this past summer. Um, but the one criticism, mostly emanating from South America, although some Asian officials have complained about the same thing, is they don't like the idea of Europe walling themselves off from the rest of the world. Mm -hmm. They feel like there's concern about Europe dominating too much at the international level. The last four World Cups have been won by a European country. The last World Cup we covered in Russia, all four semifinalists were European. And these other regions feel like, well, if we're not playing you on a regular basis, we're not going to get better. It's that whole argument of why you want the US to play in Copa Americas. You mm -hmm. know, you benefit from facing better competition. So they don't like the idea of because, you know, you've already gotten rid of the Confederations Cup and it's very tough now to schedule friendlies against European countries because they're always occupied with some competition or other. Uh, and so you could go four years without facing one and then you have to face them in the knockout stages of a World Cup. So there's been this criticism out there. So UEFA have taken some steps to rectify that. There's a proposal on the table for Brazil and Argentina to take part in the next UEFA Nations League <laughs> as invited guests. But everybody's looking at this also through the lens of, 
this being a shot across the bow at FIFA because yeah. UEFA are very much against this World Cup every two years hold, thing. Hold on. And, 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 well, it, and we know how sensitive FIFA are about anything taking sure. luster away from sure. the World Cup. They've worked overtime to, to undermine the Olympics sure. for that very reason. I got news for you. You create a competition with Brazil, Argentina, and the top European nations that entails a Champions League, a, a, a group stage, and then a, a knockout games at the end, like a, a Final Four. You've basically created a second World Cup. I mean, it's good. <laughs> so that, that's well, hold, an issue. Hold on, Moss. <laughs> let me let me get this straight because my little brain. Uh, I hope I want to make sure I understand this. So the 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 proposal is that the elites of Europe, all right, have gotten together and they've said, well, let's identify some other elites around the world, and they have identified Brazil and Argentina. I think everybody would agree. Let's bring them in to our elite club. And in doing so, create something that is for us elites. And while it helps us, it also, in the same instance, will push the masses and the lower class out. And it will change tradition, right? Is that, is that bas that's basically what they want to do? Yes. It sounds an awful lot like the Super League, okay? which we know is the end of days. And so I can't believe that anybody around the world uh, or in Europe would ever be on board with something like that happening, where the elites just get eliter, where the elites just make even more money and create something even bigger and line their pockets and become more and more popular. How is that possible that they could do something like that? By the way, I, I think you overrate the historical acumen of folks on Twitter. I know whenever you feel like somebody makes an elitist comment, your response is, let them have cake. Do you think there's any chance that David Amoyal even knows who Marie Antoinette is and, and gets that <laughs> reference? I, I think I, you have to be more explicit with you think people are being elitist. I'm not slowing the bus down, buddy. You're either on it or you're not, and let the chips fall where they may. Believe me, there's plenty of references that go well beyond me and over my head, uh, and more and more as I get older and older. So I got my references, and I'm... I'm flying with them. Uh, anything else, Mossy? That is it. All right, we're going to take another quick break. And when we come back, oh, it's time for Ask Alexi. Don't go anywhere. All right, we are back. And we have an all-hotline edition of Ask Alexi this uh, week. For those that, uh, that maybe don't know, we have our State of the Union hotline, 657-549-2297. That's 657-549-2297. You call in and you leave us a message uh, with a uh, question or a concern or a comment. And we had uh, probably our biggest day when it comes, or our biggest week when it comes to our hotline. We had all sorts of questions. And so uh, we're going to have three audio questions uh here from the folks what uh what are the what are the what do the folks want to know that called into our state of the union podcast hotline mossy first up bill from indiana has a question about uh coaches clothing oh coaches clothing all right so let's uh let's listen to bill and uh bill was kind enough to both give us his name and his location and if you are calling in Please give us your name and location. All right, so Bill from Indiana. Let's see what he has to say. Hey, Alexi. Hey, Mossy. This is Bill from Indiana. Had a question for both of you just about an observation I had during USA Panama World Cup qualifier a few weeks ago. Uh, so Panama's manager, Christensen, he was dressed up in a really nice-looking suit. You know, he looked powerful. He looked like a leader, like a businessman who was there to, you know, get his business done, and he did, unfortunately, for the U.S. Um, but, you know, Greg Burkhalter, on the other hand, 
Uh, every time he walks out there, he looks like he just finished up a light workout with his community jogging club, and he was meaning to meet up with his buddies at Buffalo Wings for 50-cent wing night, but accidentally walked into a soccer stadium instead. Uh, so my question is, do you think uh, Bert Halter's T-shirt and gym pants are acceptable? And if the two of you were managers, what would your game day wardrobe look like? All right, thanks. Aha. Okay, Bill. This is this is right up my alley. Um, I will give you a little uh, little history when it comes to attire, uh, especially when it comes to coaches. Uh, back in the day when I was uh, head of uh, what then were the uh, the Metro Stars out there in uh, New York and New Jersey, uh, my head coach at the time was Bob Bradley, and I uh, I started that job, and he was already there, and um, you 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 can find this documented that I requested that he wear a coat and a tie because I felt that that's what was appropriate on the sideline for a coach. Uh, I have not changed my tune when it comes to that. And it's based in, in this. Uh, the, the foundation and the reasoning for that is this. When I, when I see a coach visually, uh, the aesthetic of a coach, I think it has to scream and it has to be very, very clear to everybody that his or her job, for the most part, has already been done. Nothing irritates me more when I see a coach and his or her attire lends itself to even the possibility that they are jumping on the field or part of it. So when they are wearing a tracksuit or when they are wearing cleats or when they are wearing something athletic, there is, there is the inkling that this person has not quite uh, disassociated and removed themselves from what's on the field. If, and, and a lot of times it's because, you know, they were former players. I think that that juxtaposition, that separation visually is immensely important to both the players on the field uh, that, that you are coaching and to the press and to the fans on, on the outside. Now, I recognize that time has moved on and the world has evolved. Fashion within sports, not just soccer, certainly has, has changed. And what is traditional now when it comes to the wardrobe of a coach uh, is very, very different than even 10 or 20, uh, 20 years ago. You know, having said that, I do think that there is this... Um, sporting and athletic type of leisure wear that I, I think from my perspective diminishes your credibility. Not that you're, that what you say isn't necessarily important or doesn't carry weight, but I, I and, and once again, I know people are saying you're, you're a grumpy old man in this, uh, this right now, but you know, there are still younger coaches that show up and you can still have style and you can still be fashion forward and you can still be avant-garde and you can still be different, but do it with, without the, you know, the athletic part that I just think it, it takes something away. And I know it's just a person, it's just a personal opinion. And, and look, I know, you know, he mentioned Greg Berhalter 
he, he probably, you know, has a great relationship with Nike and they, they outfit him with stuff that probably costs a whole lot more than, you know, a, 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 a fine tailored suit probably costs. But yeah, I mean, I, I think it matters what you wear. And it has always been my belief that a coach, like I said, should differentiate him or herself in terms of what they wear. And I don't want to ever feel that that, that that person on the sideline is anywhere close to being what he or she is responsible for, and that is the players on the field. Uh, two random coaching clothing notes. Okay. Uh, Marcelo Gallardo at River Plate, uh, he was, there was a period there, I don't know if he still does this, but he was feuding with the Argentinian Federation. He didn't like the, the way the league was structured or the calendar. I, I don't know exactly what his issue was, but he made a point of wearing suits for the Libertadores matches and then dressing down for the league games. It was a way to send a message. Ah, that he was, well, so he <laughs> equated the suit with respect. And then that's, I guess that's, I do. I mean, you know, I, I, again, old guy here, but there was a time uh, when I was growing up, and maybe this this applies to you and many, many uh, of our viewers and listeners, when getting on a plane was something special and you actually got dressed up to get on the plane and travel. And, and as travel became, you know, much, much more affordable and much more common, what people wore really changed to the point where it's even got to a situation right now where you have to almost have some dress codes because people were taking it to the absolute uh, extreme right now. But I, I do think that it does, it does connote a, a level of respect when you are in a much more traditional type of uh, attire. This is an obscure one, but in the early 90s, the New Jersey Nets hired a coach who uh, instituted a dress code for team flights. You had to wear a suit. Mm -hmm. And he said, if you don't wear a suit, it's a fine of such and such. Uh, and they had their star player, Derek Coleman. He did the math at the beginning of the season. He calculated how much the total fines would add up if he did it for every game. And he wrote out that check. He gave it to the coach at the beginning of the season and said, I'm wearing sweats on the plane. So yeah. here you go. So that's, that's uh, Syracuse's Derek Coleman. Or, or, yeah, um, you can do that, but you're being an asshole. <laughs> I mean, well, and he was. I don't know, what, I don't what know a, what this guy was, you know, you what, talk, what this guy was like. You but. talk about wasted talent. He was almost like a, a Brazilian soccer player in a way. He was like the Adriano of basketball. But uh, last, last story, staying with the Brazil theme. Um, when Dunga, during Dunga's first uh, spell as Brazil coach, uh, his daughter, I think, was a, studying as a fashion designer, and, and he wanted to promote her. She would design these very exotic shirts, mm -hmm. and so he started wearing them on the sideline during that. games. And a couple of them were so ridiculous right. that the Brazilian Federation had to pull them aside, and uh, you got to stop it. It became like a global joke. And and folks, if you want to Google uh, Brazil Portugal friendly 2007 Dunga shirt, I, I'm telling you, it, it's a, you'll see some pretty funny photos. Of that. But again, <laughs> I, I'm not saying that you can't have personality and you can't show off and you can't peacock if you want. But, you know, again, just looking like you just rolled out of the weight room or, uh, you know, uh, in, in the, uh, and once again, you know, we've even seen the way that trainers, I guess they call them or whatever, as, as instead of traditional type of suit um, footwear uh, and dress shoes, if you will, it's kind of morphed into a much more trainer type of uh, tennis shoe, if you will, uh, that people wear. And it's completely uh, acceptable. So I, I don't know. I mean, again, do whatever you're going to do, but don't, don't blame me or others when you are judged by the things that you wear and obviously the things that you, that you do, but you know, 
clothes make the man, clothes make the woman, and what you choose to wear on that sideline, it might seem like something stupid to you, but it does matter. These are these are details. We got more meat out of the bone from that question than I thought we okay. would. So Bill from Indiana, good question. All right. uh, this uh, next caller did not leave his uh, name. Well, so. you know what happens when, uh, when someone doesn't leave their name or their location. So Jim from Kalamazoo, let's see what Jim from Kalamazoo has which, to say. Which I'll make this comment every single week that we have a Jim from Kalamazoo. That's where Derek Jeter goes. <laughs> okay. Um, Was he an asshole too or I don't, is he okay? Whoa, watch it. Well, I don't know. We, we, were, we were just uh, your, your, your basketball player. All right, let's see what uh, Jim from Kalamazoo has to say. Hey there, Alexi Mossy. You two never fail to brighten my day with your show, as the two of you always offer honest, thoughtful, and really sometimes counterintuitive takes on the beautiful game. Uh, a lot of times I find myself yelling in disagreement, especially about uh, chicken wings recently. But unlike most people in this day and age, I actually view disagreements as something that's healthy. Um, anyway, I have a question for Alexi. Now, I know you said many times broadcasting is currently your passion. And if you ever had an interest in coaching, you would put yourself in a position to do so. However, what if Ernie Stewart and Brian McBride took you out to dinner and over a nice bottle of wine sprung the question about you taking the helm of the U.S. men's national team? What would your reaction be? Okay, uh, Jim from Kalamazoo. Uh, it's a question that I have gotten over the years. However, I think you did a really good, even though you didn't leave your name or, or where you're from, I think you did a really good job of kind of setting the scene and framing this with uh, sitting down with some wine with um, uh, Ernie Stewart and uh, Brian McBride, who are you know, the leadership basically and the decision makers when it comes to the U.S. men's national team. Uh, I, I would absolutely consider something like that. Not because I have this burning desire to coach and I've talked before about how uh, I love what I do and they can pry it from my cold, dead, red-headed hands. Uh, having said that, I would look at it much more in terms of a responsibility uh, to represent my nation uh, if they, if, and I was being called upon to that, to that duty. A couple of things. Um, I'm not sure they could afford me, uh, number one. And two, I would be awesome. I, am, I firmly believe that I would be an incredible coach, okay? And this not to downplay or disregard the years and the work um, and the ability and the talent of so many great coaches uh, out there. And yes, I would be coming at it from a different vantage point and there would be positives and negatives and advantages and disadvantages uh, uh, to that, whether it was the national team or, or anything else. But, you know, I'll finish with this and reiterate what I've told you all along. I love what I do. I'm so lucky and privileged and fortunate to be able to do this. Um, and I want to, uh, I want to keep doing it. And, um, I don't want to do anything that is going to mess up my ability to keep doing something that I love and I can get a whole lot better at it. Um, and I don't have that nagging and that burning desire that I know a lot of people, even in our industry, have to be coaches. I'm not ruling anything out because who knows? I could, you know, feel differently waking up tomorrow or somebody else could feel very differently about employing me uh, waking up tomorrow. And so life can change very, very quickly. And if it if there ever came a point where either out of necessity or out of complete and pure desire, I wanted to test myself in that capacity as a coach. I would move heaven and earth to try to make that happen. 
and do everything possible to try to uh, make that happen. And I'm just saying that if I did, I would be awesome. What else, Masi? Uh, what about you? Would you? Do you ever do you ever think about coaching? I mean, you think about the game in such a unique way. Do you think that that could translate, or could you transfer that onto players in a coaching setting? Uh, not only do I think about it, I'm available right now. And if you you, you wonder why I'm speaking so disdainfully of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, I have my eye on that Manchester United job. So I think uh, that you would come in for less criticism and crap than Ole Gunnar Solskjaer if they hired you right now. I mean, it would be it would be this new face. It would be this progressive, evolved type of way of thinking that we don't even have. We're not even bringing in a coach per se. We're bringing in somebody who thinks about the game in a different way. And we believe that he's going to be a good coach. I am all for that, by the way. So if uh, if the powers that be over there at Manchester United are thinking about making a change, and I, I think they are, you could do much worse than the guy sitting across from me. Uh, last one. Uh, Mikey from Boston uh, has a question about your, your travels abroad. All right, let's see what Mikey has to say. Hey, guys, this is Mikey. I am calling from Boston, and I have a question for Alexi today. So a lot is made out of how our players grow, whether that be in MLS or abroad. And there's obviously this big debate between the two and which place is better, blah, blah, blah. I'm curious, Alexi, given your time in Italy, do you have a greatest piece of advice or most important thing you learned while you were abroad? And that could be related on the field or off it as it pertains to just growth as a player or a person in general. Thank you. Aha, Mikey. Good question there from uh, from Boston. I, I think about this a lot, especially as you mentioned in this day and age when we have so many of these players that are now getting these incredible experiences over there. And that's that's really what it comes comes down to. Yes, you are going there to challenge yourself and hopefully through the experience become a better um, a better uh, a better player, but also a better person. And I think if you go into it with eyes wide open in that don't don't be afraid to get the full experience of the country and culture that you are living in. There will be difficulties. There will be difficulties on and off the field, and there will be adjustment periods on and off the field, and there will be frustrations on and off the field. I mean, I can remember, you know, when I first got to Italy, it was my my teammates were amazed that one of the first things that I needed to buy and go get was a fax machine. Back then, that's how we communicated and did a lot of business back then. Um, it, 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 they couldn't fathom why that would ever be important for an individual to have at its home. I remember trying to find a pharmacy that was open when nothing was open on a day because there was something that uh, that we needed and we we couldn't find it. And just being so incensed and angry in my American mentality that there wasn't something open on this day to serve my every whim and need. And so adjusting to that sometimes can, uh, can take time. Um, what did I learn as a player? Uh, I learned how to think about the, the game, my position on the field. I learned how to respect the ball. I learned how defending is not necessarily about destroying. And good defenders get to the ball. Great defenders get to the ball and retain the ball. Uh, so those are some of the things that I learned 
when I was playing and off the field, I learned how to be at ease and be comfortable with myself even when I was alone because it can get lonely um, and you are alone oftentimes, if nothing else, because uh, in, in many instances, you don't necessarily speak the language. I did make a point, and I said this before, of immediately trying to learn as much of the language as quickly as possible. And I think that that is imperative. I think you have, you put yourself in a bad position, and I think you have half the experience when you can't understand what is going on around you. And so the sooner you are able to do it, the better off you're going to be from a practical perspective and the way you are viewed when you make the effort by most countries and cultures out there is in a much more positive light. And so those, those are the, some of the things that, that I have learned from, from traveling. And oftentimes the most impactful and important moments are ones that you least expect. And so it's not scoring against AC Milan, as, as great as that may be. It's having Buffalo mozzarella in Napoli with a teammate and seeing how excited he was because he was from there to introduce me and have me have that first taste of local mozzarella. It's having a... Uh, a beer with somebody who had come in to visit you that you grew up with and played youth soccer with or juggled the ball on your sidewalk. And now you have the ability to walk into a nightclub and introduce him to Fabio Capello or whatever. I mean, those are the things that I, that I remember. Those, those, those types of moments that have nothing necessarily to do with the wins and losses or, or kicking the ball per se, but they will, those are the things. And so don't take those for granted. Milk it for all it's worth on and off the field. Um, and because it might, it might be a very small portion of your life, it might be a longer period of life, but it will forever change you if you do it right. And you know, you make mistakes all along the way. I don't know. What have your, what have your travels taught you, Mossy? Well, I, I learned in France that you don't tip as much because <laughs> the first few days in Paris, I was leaving 20% for every meal and, and getting these like shocked looks from waiters. And then somebody pulled me aside and said, what are you doing? That's not, that's not a thing here. So, um, but no, I mean, we've, we've talked about this before. Just, just how truly global soccer is and yep. what a unifying I mean, I've had so many stories where I went to a Liverpool-Napoli Champions League game at Anfield years ago with Keith Costigan, who's kind enough to invite me along. He goes on that trip every year to go to game uh, at Anfield. And the night before, we went to a bar, and there were these Napoli fans there. And the fact that I could speak some Italian and, and, and knew Napoli well enough to talk about their team, their, their current team, and great players over the years, and Brazilian players, and Careca, and Alemão, and obviously the whole Maradona era. And I just ingratiated me to them and became friends with them. We hung out all night. It was great. I've told that story of that Zenit fan outside yep. uh, the Hermitage Museum. I went to St. Petersburg, and my, my phone died. I was looking for somebody with a charger to charge my phone, and I, I spotted this Russian guy, intimidating-looking Russian guy outside. And I went up to him, and it was a little bit awkward at first but then the icebreaker was i saw him wearing a zenit shirt and i oh you're a zenit fan he said yeah and we got to talking about zenit for 10 minutes and 
And we bonded. And by the end of it, he said, hey, give me your phone. I'll, I'll help you out. And he, he charged it for me. So it's just the sport that we, we, we love and we, we, we follow and we work. It just, it's, it's an amazing, it's truly global game. And it's such a unifying thing where everywhere you go around the world, you can always make a friend if you know the sport of soccer. That's awesome. That's a great way to end this, uh, end this segment. And thank you for everybody uh, for all the questions that you, you sent in. You can certainly do it in the traditional way using that hashtag Ask Alexia on all the social media platforms out there. But, you know, we got this hotline out there and it, it gives people a way to, you know, to, to ask their questions or to leave their, their comments in a, in, a, in a different and unique way. And we get a little bit more of the personality and it's, uh, you, can, uh, you can go a little bit longer here. So once again, that's 657-549-2297, 657-549-2297. Keep them coming. We, uh, we love uh, the fact that you do take the time to use that uh, hotline that we set up. So thanks to everybody that did uh, this past week, including the ones that we used on uh, this show. All right, we're coming to the end of the show. We've got one more break here when we come back. Oh, it's time for my one for the road. Don't go anywhere. All right, we are back and it's time for my uh, one for the road. And, you know, I'm going to do a, a kind of a state of the union for my one for the road this week because it's a it's a special one because it has to do with the great Carly Lloyd. And by the way, um, if you uh, if you subscribe to this uh, to this podcast, you will have seen in your feed that we have a special interview with Carly Lloyd. It's about 20 minutes and it's really interesting the way she talks about where she is right now as she comes to the end of just an incredible career uh, for a legendary player. And so this is, you know, as we as we as we finish up this uh, this pod, I should remind you, by the way, that you can catch Carly Lloyd on FS1 this Tuesday, October 26th at 5 p.m. Her last game ever in an incredible story uh, career for the U.S. Uh, women's uh, women's national team. So that's going to be fun. But I guess the, the final segment here, my one for the road is kind of a an ode to Carly because I think she she deserves it uh, and she deserves all of the praise and the thanks uh, from us and everybody out there that she is getting right now as she takes this uh, this final lap. So uh, here is my ode to Carly Lloyd and it goes a little something like this. You know, Carly Lloyd is an acquired taste. It doesn't always go down smooth, but it is special. She can be a pain in the ass. She's got a chip on her shoulder and she doesn't suffer fools, but she's a winner. She's a fighter. She's an unabashed Jersey girl. And when the chips are down, I want her on my team. From Delran High to Rutgers University to pro to the US Women's National Team to the best player in the world. Like another Jersey great, she did it her way. She stood up for herself, for her teammates and for her country, even when she got knocked down. In doing so, she became a legend. Now, as she takes her final lap, it's right that we celebrate this national treasure. The unique attitude, personality, mentality, desire, and fight, it all contributed to her greatness. I'm happy that Carly's in a good place right now. That hasn't always been the case. She seems to be enjoying the moment, as she should, and she deserves it. There is a whole life to be lived after kicking the ball, and I hope Carly Lloyd finds happiness, success, and fulfillment in whatever comes next. All right. So anyway, uh, thank you again to Carly Lloyd for coming on the State of the Union this week. You can find that in your feed. And again, thank you for everything uh, that uh, that she has done on and off the field and will continue to do, I think, 
uh, off the field uh, for the game of soccer going forward. She is a, 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 as I said, a true legend and a true original. And um, and I love her. I love her. Uh, Mossy, anything uh, before we go here? One last, last thing. Okay, what do you got? I know you're not much of a football fan, but just know this upcoming Saturday, one of the biggest football games in the history of the state of Michigan will take place in East Lansing. So this would be the Wolverines of Michigan playing against the Spartans of Michigan State, right? Correct. Now, uh, is it, 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 sometimes these games happen and they're in different positions or something like this is a This is a meaningful game? 7-0 and against 7-0. and Both teams ranked in the top 10. Wow. Wow. So both of these teams have the opportunity to go to that Final Four thing that happens, right? Uh, yeah, although, I mean, they're in the top 10. They'd have to, you know, have to, they'd have to get past Ohio State, which is I still find to be far fetched. <laughs> well, Ohio State is better than. Oh, oh, yeah. Absolutely. Right, but this is this is still the battle for Michigan. Now, I know your what your heart says, uh, but both seven and oh, what, what if you had to put all all that mossy money on something, what would you do? Uh, it's 50. It's in, it's in East Lansing, correct. right? Correct. Okay. I think I'm slightly leaning Michigan State, more explosive okay. offense. Um, so I think they'll, close, they'll so. hit a close game, but well, they, I'll watch it. You got me. You piqued my interest. Now I want to. I want to check this thing it's on out. Fox. It's on Fox. There we go. Oh yeah, Rob Stone told me he's going to be uh, in yep. the great state of Michigan. So oh. lucky, lucky guy there. All right. Well, listen. Um, thanks again to everybody that did uh, send in questions. Thanks for everything that you do, all the subscriptions, uh, and the rating, and the reviewing, and the uh, downloading, and all that kind of stuff uh, out there. We really appreciate it. We will be back here same time, same place next uh, next week uh, on the uh, State of the Union podcast. And until then, and as always, size the day. <laughs>